I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. It's been quite a week here in America. Dozens of senior Republicans have withdrawn their support from Donald Trump after a recording emerged of a rather lewd conversation he had in 2005. Trump vowed to fight on and faced Hillary Clinton in an acrimonious head-to-head debate last Sunday. Meanwhile, Hillary has been dealing with the fallout from the publication by WikiLeaks of paid private speeches which appear to contradict her public positions on issues like trade and immigration. To find out what the voters made of it all, we came to the suburbs of Philadelphia, a crucial part of a state that has been central to Donald Trump's campaign strategy. No Republican has won Pennsylvania in a presidential election since George H.W. Bush in 1988. Pennsylvania, then, could be the unlikely epicenter of the 2016 election. Later, we will hear what its voters have to say. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and I'm here in Philadelphia with Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst, columnist for Time magazine, Manhattan dog owner, and coiner of the phrase kamikaze Donald Trump. Lovely to see you as always, Elise. Thanks for having me, Kevin. This week on the Ashcroft in America podcast, John Bayer of the Philadelphia Daily News gives his assessment of how things are shaping up in Pennsylvania. We learn from our focus groups how the critical voters of suburban Philadelphia have reacted to the week's election news. We hear Lord Ashcroft's interview with Liz Smith, a veteran political operative on Democratic presidential campaigns, and Elise speaks to the conservative talk radio host Charlie Sykes about conspiracy theories, the media, and the rise of post-truth politics. There's certainly plenty to talk about this week. WikiLeaks released transcripts from some of Hillary Clinton's paid private speeches in which she said she was for open trade and open border, and that politicians needed to have a public and a private position on some issues. More than 50 Republican elected officials, including senators and governors, said they could no longer endorse Donald Trump after a recording was leaked of a lewd conversation between him and a TV presenter in 2005. Donald Trump described the exchange as, quote, locker room banner and claimed Bill Clinton had said far worse to him on the golf course. He brushed aside suggestions that he should stand down, saying, I'm not quitting this race. I have tremendous support. Trump held a surprise press conference with three women who had accused Bill Clinton of assault and harassment hours before the second presidential debate. At the debate, Hillary Clinton said Trump was in diversion mode and would do, quote, anything to avoid talking about your campaign and the way it's exploding and the way Republicans are leaving you. Trump said that if he were in charge of the justice system, Clinton would be in jail. The first poll released since the weekend's revelations gave Hillary Clinton an 11-point lead. After Speaker Paul Ryan told House Republicans it was their call whether or not to support the Republican nominee, Trump launched a full assault on the Speaker, tweeting that disloyal Republicans were worse than crooked Hillary. And since this week's interviews and focus groups were conducted, a number of women have come forward to accuse Donald Trump of sexual misconduct. Trump has denied the allegations and threatened to sue the media outlets reporting the story. John Bayer is the award-winning political columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News. With polls giving Hillary Clinton a double-digit lead in Pennsylvania, I asked whether he thought this reflected what was really going on, or if things were more competitive than that. I think that it's an accurate reflection of what's going on right now. Uh, Pennsylvania usually tightens near the end. Um, the, uh, I mean, Obama, I think, won by five last time. And uh, Clinton should probably do at least that well. 
this cycle, I don't have to tell you, has been a lot of ups and downs. So you don't know what happens next, but she should win the state and probably win it comfortably. You've reported that the Clinton campaign has been sending some high-profile characters here, like Michelle Obama and Tim Kaine and, indeed, Bill Clinton. Does that show that they think Pennsylvania is still very much in play? Well, I think they want to secure it. I think there's there's so much uncertainty uh, throughout the electorate that they don't want to take any chances here. Um, there was some evidence, particularly earlier in the year, that a lot of people were switching parties, particularly in the southwestern part of the state. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that the Republicans were putting some effort in here. So I think it's more, uh, well, I think it's it's one of two things, uh, Kevin. It's either absolute security for themselves or forcing the Republicans to spend money uh, here, e- even though they're not going to win. Although she's clearly ahead, do you think there's much enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton here, especially among younger voters? Uh, there isn't anywhere near the level of enthusiasm that existed in 08, for example, uh, for President Obama's first run, and probably not even as much um, uh, among young people and particularly minority voters as there was in 12. The enthusiasm gap is real. Uh, you can feel it at rallies. You can feel it talking to voters. There's much more enthusiasm among Republican voters. But uh, it's probably not going to make it. It might be worth a couple of points in the end. Um, But again, the unpredictability of, you know, what is next? It seems every other day there's something that that can move some numbers and you don't know what's going to happen in the last few weeks. No, I mean, Pennsylvania has, um, I think, an evangelical population of about 20 percent. And it's also home to the kind of voters who have been Trump's strongest supporters, as well as the suburban voters who decide elections these days. What do you think will be the overall effect here of the tapes that have emerged over the last couple of days? Do you think they'll be, are they a game changer? Uh, probably for some. Um, there, there may have been some Trump support in the Philadelphia suburbs, which is critical to winning Pennsylvania. Uh, I think if there is backlash against him, that's where you'll find it. Uh, true Trump supporters, probably not very much. Um, as you suggest, there's a a heavy uh, conservative, uh, evangelical, and rural vote in Pennsylvania. When Trump ran in the primary here, he won every one of the state's 67 counties, even though at that point there were still other people like Ted Cruz on the ballot. So uh, it's probably not going to change an awful lot of numbers, um, but it will change numbers that he needed to have in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Pennsylvania was a big part of the Trump strategy to start with. Was he was he in with a real shot here, or do you think it was always an outside chance for him? I think it was always an outside chance. Uh, Republicans historically uh, say Pennsylvania is in play uh, because of the conservative nature of the state. We are, despite voting Democratic since uh, every election since 1988, we have a conservative belt that elects a, a Republican state legislature um, and very frequently Republican governors. So if you only look at the numbers, uh, you can always say that Pennsylvania is in play for a national Republican. But the turnout mechanisms, you can win the state with 10 counties, uh, and uh, those are the most populous counties, and those are the most Democratic counties. So if Democrats vote, and they still outnumber Republicans by close to 900,000, uh, if Democrats vote, it's a Democratic state. 
Do you think there's anything much he could have done differently to improve his chances here? Sure, he could have run, he could have run like a politician instead of a madman. <laughs> had, had he crafted a campaign, had he listened to somebody who knows a thing or two about winning elections, I think there would have been some appeal to the nature of change. I mean, nobody is that enthusiastic about the Clintons. Uh, somebody could have been enthusiastic about an outsider who came in and said, look, I've gotten an awful lot from this country. I'd like to give some back. If you take away all of the awful, horrible, no good things he said, you could make an attractive candidate out of Donald Trump if he wasn't Donald Trump. Our first focus groups this week were with strong supporters of Donald Trump. We asked whether the tape of his notorious private conversation had made any difference to their view. It's a non-story as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's just a waste of time. A guy was yeah. talking like a guy and somebody decided to share it. It made no sense. Everybody talks like that. Okay. when they're with other people. And nobody's perfect. I mean, we all, I'm sure we all have skeletons in our closets. And can you imagine the scrutiny that any of us would go through to have to go through this process, you know, to, in, to become the, the president of the United States, mm -hmm. to have people digging and digging and digging 24 by 7 into your yeah. past life, you know, trying to find anything they can to use against you? Obviously, I don't know his heart, but I think it was 11 years ago, and there could be signs that he's changed some of his views or he's looking for more family-oriented conservative views that would protect women and children. And there have been people like Bill Clinton who have done much worse things. And I know this election is yep. not about him, but if you want to look at actions compared to words, there's just no comparison there. Well, Hillary didn't send air support to keep those four guys alive, but they're worried about Bill or uh, Trump saying mean things to women. I think that's completely ridiculous. If these revelations didn't matter, what do they think of Republican leaders who were no longer supporting Donald Trump? That's the politically correct thing to do, as far as I'm concerned, what they did. Trying to save their jobs of career politicians, saving their ass, they don't ever have to work again. Yep, right. They're just spineless, <clears throat> in my opinion. Um, probably, you know, controlled by the donor class. What was it that made these people so determined to stick with Trump, despite everything? Hillary is basically, you know, she's in, in with Wall Street, she's in with, you know, the, the world community, you know, basically, and my concern is, you know, ceding the sovereignty of the United States. You know, obviously Trump's not perfect, but I think, you know, he'd probably do a hell of a lot better job than, than Clinton could at this point. And I just, you know, for her, I mean, I don't trust that woman. Trump specifically said he would stop the immigration and things like that. He came right out and said it instead of beating around the bush, which was... He, he said what I wanted to hear, a lot of things. Just probably the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court justices are appointed for life. So, you know, if she gets in and she appoints three or four justices, the Supreme Court will be turned, you know, uh, liberal. You find out that Donald Trump has been elected President of the United States. What's your immediate emotion to that? So you're excited. <laughs> you think? Next, we spoke to a group of men who'd been leaning towards Trump even though they didn't have an especially high opinion of him. Most were planning to stick with him, though with rather a heavy heart. He can't keep his mouth shut. He can't act presidential. Um, 
you know, I, I distaste, a strong distaste for Hillary, and and I like the things that Trump is bringing forth, but at some point there's there's got to be professionalism. There, there's got to be uh, honor, integrity, and I, he's he's just he's just lacking in that. You know, I mean, what the, the videos that came out you know, at the end of the day, it was ten years ago. I, I can get over that. You, you got to show me something that you can leave leave this country. I like some of the brashness, you know, like I'll put you in jail, but it's not presidential. I mean, it probably appeals to people like us because we're still going to vote for him. But he's got to go for people that are undecided. He doesn't act presidential. That's unfortunate. And there's an art to uh, communicating with people, uh, and I don't think that he's quite mastered that art. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's done and said, I don't think it really affects his ability to run the country the way that it needs to be run. Um, so I'm not in any way leaning towards voting for, for Killary, um, but he hasn't done as good as he could possibly do, and he's not the world's perfect candidate by any means. And when he is talking, it's, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? Like, yeah. roll a duct tape, you think, would go a long way in making him look awesome next to Hillary. Republican, Democrat, they're still politicians, uh, and they're still going to say what they need to say to get what their agenda is. And Trump was is different, or supposed to be different from that. Yeah, when he's different, like a drunk uncle. I didn't vote for Trump in a primary, but I think he hit three hot buttons. One was the immigration issue. Two, he, he went after the media, which I absolutely loved. And three, he acted like an outsider. And I think those three things were very appealing to people. They, they appealed to me, and I loved the guy, but then he, he goes too far. He, he starts acting like a fifth grader. And he just, he just doesn't know when to pull back. Once again, for all Trump's imperfections, it was all about the choice. I think you need to change... You know, you need a different approach. I'm not happy with his campaign, but I think to, to Brad's point, you know, he doesn't know when to shut up at times, and he, he, he offends people. But then you got the other candidate there who's making promises you know she can't fill. I mean, I mean for me, it's, it's the lesser of two evils. <laughs> you know, I wish he was a different man, but he's not. But I want—I don't want another career politician. I want change, and Trump is going to bring change. I think Trump's an idiot. I don't think he has the capability to do to be a good president at all. I just think he's slightly less awful than Hillary. Despite all this, most of these voters were fairly depressed about his prospects. She has all the money behind her. She's going to win. I think—I regret to say—I think she's going to win. <laughs> She'll win. Finally, a group of women who were undecided how to vote and, like many others, had an unfavourable view of both candidates. Though they didn't like what they'd heard on the Trump tape, nor did they see it as a decisive moment in their voting decision. I mean, it was crude, but then again, it's, you know, it was guys talking and stuff. There's more important things that we yeah. need to talk well, about. They're not. You just switch the channel and, you know... It's almost like wag. It's almost like you know, uh, wag the dog instead. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like a distraction to, um, you know, something else important could have been going on, and we're all so busy, you know, talking about right. cats. Just you know, sh shall we say? 
Yes, his, his statement was wrong. It was horrible. Yeah. Right. It was horrible. But let's get to the issues here. Let's not, you know, keep on, right. keep rerunning this thing over and over right. and over again. Well, wouldn't it be amazing to have a campaign that talked about issues? I know. In fact, the latest revelations just added to the impressions and concerns about Donald Trump that had built up over the course of the campaign. I'm like, well, I can't vote for her. So then I go, okay, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And then every time he opens up his mouth, I go, good God. I think we need a businessman in power. Mm-hmm. But I just think we picked the wrong one. He made fun of um, handicapped people. Yeah. That was the lowest blow. Yeah. And then yeah. the servicemen that had died. Mm-hmm. And he goes, personally, I'm like people that don't get captured. Well, I don't think those guys asked yeah. to be captured. But he also said about Captain Khan that he'd be alive if I were president. How yeah, can I, he say Right, well, you can't say hey. that. We would lose all respect within the entire world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think we're losing it with just yeah. all these yeah. commercials. Right. I, it's already yeah. Yeah. It's gone, but it's if he gym, really does yeah. become president, mm-hmm. yeah. it, I mean, it'll be obliterated. And I am terrified of how he just flies off the handle and he i mean he is commander-in-chief but this group also had very mixed feelings about hillary clinton though some thought her capable many didn't find her relatable or think she would change very much and they did wonder whether she could always be trusted she's such a policy um intelligence no warm fuzzies yes yeah Yeah. and And she's abrasive well well i think she's very guarded because she's been in uh, my impression she's been in so many situations where she's been attacked she's so guarded that she doesn't even let us see her i think that during her convention speech that was the worst i mean she sounded like a stepmother or some kind of substitute terrible teacher or something i can't it's like lecturing you but then she must have gotten that word back to her because i think during the two debates she's really lightened up and and seemed much more relatable. Trump seemed very, to me, bullying and physically Mm -hmm. intimidating. Yeah, I find him. And she's, I feel like she's caught between a rock and a hard place of she's got to stand up to him and sort of give him some of that back, but then at the same time it makes her seem more unrelatable as a woman. But there's a murkiness there. There may not be all this truth to all these problems and controversies and all of that, but God, if she would just get out ahead of it and be more honest, I think she basically is is not a terrible person. So if if you're not a terrible person, then just go ahead and be honest. Now you look back on, on Benghazi, and she tells the parents point blank that their sons, or their whoever it was, was killed because of this, and it, and they weren't. Okay, so she point blank lied to them. Yeah, and my hope is that just that maybe she's going to surprise us because when you campaign it's poetry when you govern it's prose and so she's a prose person she is not an obama speaker an inspirational but maybe when she gets in there and gets into the nooks and crannies of everything well at least this time last week we were talking about how donald trump's campaign had become dominated by his tweets about women and his tax returns and that he needed to put away kamikaze donald trump and show a more presidential version of himself so so much for all that Kamikaze Donald is alive and thriving. He is in full throttle attacking women over new allegations of sexual misconduct and also going full frontal at the press and saying, if you report this, I'm going to sue you. These accusations are false. The video last week really didn't change people's vote 
roots per se, but I do think that it reinforced the negative narrative of him having a serious temperament issue and people being concerned with what is his temperament going to be when it comes to foreign policy. And so I think with women especially, it was just another issue layered upon other questionable actions that really made them doubt that they could pull the trigger and vote for Donald Trump. For the people who are already supporting him, though, I mean, they don't like this stuff, but it's pretty clear that nothing's going to nothing's going to keep them away um, from from voting for him on election day. They often say they wish they had a better candidate to vote for, but what it comes down to is a choice between him and Hillary, change or more of the same. There are Supreme Court seats up for grabs, and they're going to walk over hot coals to vote against Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton wins, it's going to be because voters are casting ballots against Donald Trump, not voting for her. There's a real lack of enthusiasm surrounding Hillary Clinton and especially her policy proposals. Voters really can't identify any policy proposal that she's going to introduce that will change their lives for the better. Right now, she's made this election a referendum on Donald Trump, and perhaps that's how she sees her path to victory. And for now, it seems like it's going well for her. But voters do want to see more in terms of seeing someone inspirational who has actual plans that are going to impact their lives. Meanwhile, Donald is trying to make it all about Hillary and, of course, Bill, which is not really impressing anybody who's already on his side, let alone winning anybody over. I think the lesson for his group about what works for him is to make it all about change and to mm-hmm. say there are things in this country that need change, the tax system, the immigration system, trade, the way Washington's run, and despite all my flaws, the only way you're going to get those changes is if you vote for me. And Trump supporters are also addressing that they realize there is going to be a reckoning within the Republican Party post-election. And it's interesting that politicians who are unendorsing Trump, that doesn't seem to be such a stain on their political legacies as I had thought that it probably would be. Voters really see this as a passing moment and Donald Trump not necessarily as a Republican. And so really this there might be a moment of political fluidity right now where Republican politicians do have some space to separate themselves from Donald Trump. Liz Smith is a Democratic campaign operative and was the Deputy Campaign Director for Governor Martin O'Malley's 2016 presidential campaign. Lord Ashcroft asked her about the effect of Donald Trump's hot mic video and first whether she thought the Clinton campaign was now confident of victory. With the revelations of the last few days, we've seen Hillary Clinton open up a bigger lead in the polls. Do you think her campaign is now confident of victory or could it be that there are now more people who are just not prepared to admit that they still support Donald Trump? I do think that they're more confident in their victory. Um, right now, you know, there's no candidate who, is, who has overcome a polling deficit this big um, like the polling deficit that Donald Trump currently faces. That being said, the Clinton campaign does have to address the fact that the Obama coalition, meaning young voters, Hispanic voters, black voters, are still not particularly enthused about her candidacy. Um, so she needs to make sure that Democratic voters don't become too complacent and stay at home. And we've seen her take some steps to address that in the last few days. Like, for instance, yesterday she was campaigning with Al Gore in Florida to talk about climate change, which is a top issue for young voters. So um, they're definitely more confident, but uh, I do believe that they understand that they can't be too complacent. 
the news throughout the campaign has been dominated by Trump. It, and it sometimes seems that Hillary is happy to sit back and let Donald do the talking. Is that her plan? Yes. Well, that has been her plan so far. Um, and, you know, these are the two most unlikable, unpopular candidates in American history. So <laughs> the more you see of um, Donald Trump, the less you like him, the more you see of Hillary Clinton, the less you like her. So it's not a, a completely uh, bad idea on her part to let him dominate the news cycle. And you know what they say, you know, if your opponent is imploding, don't get in the way. But as a result of that, she hasn't really been out there articulating a positive and affirmative vision for why people should vote for her. And that's why I think we've seen a lack of motivation um, on progressive Democrats' parts in terms of turning out for her. To put yourself on the other side of the fence for a moment, if you were now in Donald Trump's campaign, what would you be advising him to do? I would advise him to do the opposite of what he's doing right now, uh, which is trying to ignite a Republican civil war um, and kind of conduct a kamikaze mission where he takes the Republican Party down with him. He faces, obviously, a very tough task um, and a tough road ahead of him. But I think, you know, I would go for more contrition and more focus on the issues that got him to where he is rather than doubling down on his very offensive comments about sexual assault and, you know, turning his, turning his guns on his fellow Republicans. The news in the last few days has obviously been dominated by the leaked Trump tapes and the reaction to them. And the media have been very excited about it. But do you think it's been a game changer or just another in a long line of Trump controversies? You know, we use the term game changer a lot in politics. And oftentimes I think it's misused. In this case, I absolutely think that this tape was a game changer. Um, there's no doubt that Donald Trump was on a bad path uh, without the tape. He, had, he put in a terrible performance at the first debate where he showed um, no interest in even doing the basic homework to be commander-in-chief. And he, he started to bleed support after that. But this tape... I think really cemented for a lot of people exactly why he was, he's an unacceptable choice for president. Um, and there's a reason why it was, it's been the number one uh, most covered story and most read news story of the 2016 news cycle, because we've never had a presidential candidate brag about sexual assault on tape, and it takes Donald Trump's depravity down to a whole new level. Um, you know, before we could, Republicans could kind of write him off as just a sexist or just a xenophobe or just a racist, but bragging about sexual assault is on a whole new level, even for the Republican Party. And so I think that's why it really has been a game changer. Uh, and finally, and as a follow-up to that last question, we've seen Republican leaders distancing themselves from Trump over the last few days. But do you think controversy will harm Republicans facing tough Senate and congressional races? 
it, it will if Democrats handle it right. Uh, right now, it looks like Hillary Clinton has a strong lead in the polls. And what I would do if I were her is knowing that I'm going to be the next president and that I'm going to need more Democrats in office, I would go out and campaign with uh, Democrats who face, who are challenging um, vulnerable Republican incumbents um, and make sure that they can tie these vulnerable Republican incumbents to Donald Trump. Clearly, in a lot of these close races, um, for instance, like the New Hampshire Senate race, we see vulnerable Republican incumbents like Kelly Ayotte trying to distance themselves from Donald Trump. So it's incumbent upon Democrats to remind um, to remind voters that these people stood by him every step of the way, and they only cut him loose uh, when he started bragging about sexual assault and when they saw that he, that he, it was the Titanic and they didn't want to go down with him. So I think it would be very smart of Hillary Clinton to campaign with these Democrats, and it would be very smart of Democrats writ large to make sure that voters do not forget that these can these Republican candidates stood by Donald Trump every step of the way. Charlie Sykes is an influential conservative talk radio host. When I sat down with him, I started by reminding him of when he interviewed Donald Trump. And Donald Trump called into your talk radio show yeah. and it was an explosive interview. 17 minutes a very entertaining interview, and he didn't seem to have a clue that you had consistently opposed him for president and had been part of the Never Trump movement. Well, I don't know that it was explosive. I, mean, I, I tried to be as nice to him as possible, <clears throat> but about halfway through the uh, the interview, I did because I, I I had to ask him. I said, uh, you know, Mr. Trump, do you know that I am Never Trump? And he said, no, he had, he had no idea. Um, and I found, I found that extraordinary because, you know, quite frankly, I, I had spent the last six months talking about him and criticizing him. If you'd spent about 15 seconds on my Twitter feed, you would have seen exactly where I came from, but apparently nobody in his campaign had bothered to do any of that. So do you think it was he went on the show because it was a poorly organized campaign, or do you think that he thought he could win you over? Uh, no, I, I actually don't had, I, I don't think he had any sense of, of, of what, the, what the environment was. I didn't have a sense that he had any idea who I was or what I had said about him. I do think he has this incredible self-confidence where he thinks he can handle any situation without any preparation whatsoever. Um, and he certainly hadn't prepared for that. So after the interview, you encountered a fair amount of backlash from Trump supporters. What do you think the level of vitriol in this election? Is it like anything you've ever seen before? Uh, no, I have never seen this level of vitriol. I've been doing this for long enough that I know that there's a lot increasing trajectory of vitriol in American politics, but it does feel like we've crossed a line in this election, where there's something a little uglier, a little more bitter, certain people have been enabled, certain styles of politics uh, I, I think have, have been embraced, and I don't recall anything that has really divided people, I mean this, this breaks relationships, friendships, family members, uh, there's going to be a lot of damage when this is all over. You've been reflective on the role of conservative media right. in Trump's rise, and you said that you have so many years of demonizing mainstream media that it's kind of gotten us to this critical inflection point. 
going forward, are facts simply less important in politics and to the public? Or how does the media regain trust? What do what does the Republican Party do? What's the path forward here? Yeah, though that those are those are excellent questions, and they're going to take a lot of uh, time to figure that out. Um, I, I think that uh, Donald Trump has broken the media in a sense that the, the media uh, does not know how to deal with a man who lies so frequently and so freely. Uh, they don't know how to deal with an environment in which there is this other media that will then rationalize and defend and cover for all of his lies. And quite frankly, they don't know how to deal with, with an electorate that apparently is willing to accept those lies. And I think um, we are. I, 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 am, I am concerned that we're in a post-truth political environment here. And I do think the conservative media has contributed to this. I think the liberal media has as well. Um, let me start with the conservative media because I'm part of that. You know, we created an alternative other side of the story media. We have been so successful that we have created these, these alternative reality silos where you can actually, if you are a conservative, it's true on the left as well, you can live in a world with your own facts, your own issues, and never encounter these, these fact checks. And, and, I, and I've talked about how difficult it was early on when I would point out that something was, was untrue or some bizarre conspiracy theory um, that was unfounded and try to come up with sources that would say, okay, this, this will refute what, you know, what, what Donald Trump just said. And the audience is so used to having its biases and its prejudices confirmed that if I cited CNN or if I cited the Wall Street uh, Journal or uh, Washington Post or the New York Times, they wouldn't pay attention to the facts. They would just simply dismiss it. Now, the mainstream media has, in fact, been biased for many years and has squandered its credibility for many years. They've cried wolf for many years. They've called every Republican, every conservative, a racist, a bigot, a, you know, a xenophobe, anti-woman. So at a certain point, they've created this environment in which when the real thing comes along, people go, yeah, whatever. We've heard this over and over and over, more of the same. How could conservatives who did oppose Donald Trump, what could they have done differently to have stopped his candidacy? Or was Trump and his 14 million primary voters, was he the inevitable nominee? No, he was never inevitable if there had been some sort of a will on the part of conservatives to stand up uh, against him, if the field had coalesced more quickly. Uh, you know, one, one year ago, Governor Scott Walker from Wisconsin dropped out of the race, and he said at that time he called on other candidates to, to drop out because Donald Trump got a plurality, but he was not a majority, and so he was calling on other conservatives to coalesce around uh, an alternative. They never did that. Um, ego. Uh, cynicism, the uh, l lack of willingness to uh, confront Donald Trump head-on. A lot of them appeased Donald Trump because they thought that they would be the last man standing. And unfortunately, by the time we got to Wisconsin, uh, Ted Cruz was about the only viable alternative, and he wasn't that viable. Um, he was probably the, you know, as, as unpopular a figure in the Republican Party as anyone. Had it been a Marco Rubio, I think the, the, the scenario would have been different. Conspiracy theories this year seem particularly hard to extinguish. Yes. What do you ascribe that to, that this election really has been dominated, whether it's you know Hillary Clinton being diagnosed with Parkinson's by so many commentators, right. uh, to you know the Donald Trump and many of the things that he says on a daily basis? Well, this, this is actually one of the most troubling parts of this campaign is exactly what you're bringing up now, the, uh, the, the spreading of the conspiracy theories. And, and, I, and I think it goes back to this alternative reality silo 
that uh, that the right has created here in uh, in, in America, where you do have these dark, what I call the dark fever swamps of of the right. Um, and again, I I am a right wing talk show host, but but I mean there are some serious fever swamps out there, and they traffic in the most bizarre conspiracy theories, and they're difficult to refute because too many conservative commentators do not want to challenge them. Um, they know that their that their audiences will will believe them. Um, and there are sites like, for example, Breitbart.com, Drudge Report, uh, and others that will inject them into the mainstream. And this is the really disturbing thing. You see, the Donald Trump, you'll see something, some bizarre, unfounded conspiracy theory, and you're tempted to dismiss it as too far out of the mainstream. And then Donald Trump, who may be the next president of the United States, is tweeting out links to these kinds of things. This is, again, one of the things that's broken the media. How do you deal with somebody who actually doesn't seem to have a filter what is true, what is false, what is responsible, what is irresponsible. But for me, as a conservative talk show host, it, it's, it's, it's really bothersome because for years I've been arguing we don't do this just for the ratings, we actually believe this, we care about this, these things are important to us, and then to watch one after another of some of the leading conservative media figures in America basically go, yeah, we're not really interested in principles, yes, We'll peddle these conspiracy theories if it scores points for us. And there is, a, there is a difference, a fundamental difference, between being an opinion advocate. I am not an objective journalist. I am an advocate for conservative ideas here in America. Uh, but there's a distinction between advocating for what you believe and then becoming a flat-out propagandist. And a propagandist does not care whether something's true. They just ask whether it is effective. And I think that you're starting to see this from some of these, the people that we thought were the gatekeepers. And as a result, they have injected these, these conspiracy theories into the mainstream. That's all from Ashcroft in America this week. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts, and any ideas for things you think we should ask our focus groups by tweeting with the hashtag Ashcroft in America. Don't forget all our research is published at lordashcroftpolls.com, as is Lord Ashcroft's weekly column on the election. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America. We're saddling up and heading west. We'll see you next week in Phoenix, Arizona.